0: morning. Open with me to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 8. 1 through 8 was read, I'll, I'll get through 4 today, um, just in uh, considering the, uh, the bulk of this text. So, Quite an interesting text and a difficult text in a number of different ways. I won't get into that, but I want you to see and know that Paul has been dismantling objections. And he's got one more he's going to dismantle. And uh, that's going to be over the next eight verses. And then he's going to get to the conclusion of all of his dismantling, uh, beginning in verse 9 and forward some conclusions in his argument. But here in chapter 3 verse 1 what advantage has the Jew? Paul has been faithfully laying out the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been making known ever since chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 when he said that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. He has been putting forward the the importance of the gospel being proclaimed. And he's saying there's a hindrance to that. And that hindrance is that people are unfaithful and people are sinful. And people deserve the wrath of God. He said the wrath of God has been poured out on people who suppress the truth. Namely, he's been talking about the Gentiles there. And then he gets to chapter 2 and he begins, I'm reviewing of course, gets to chapter 2 and there after the Jews have kind of wagged their heads at the the Gentiles and said, man, yeah, y'all are some bad people. Paul says, hey, Jew, you're no different. You do the same thing. After that in verse 12 of chapter 2, Paul begins dismantling the objections of the Jews he begins taking apart all the things that they cling to for their assurance that when the judgment comes when the day of judgment arrives they will have something to stand on and he takes apart these things that they rely on namely that they had received the law they had been chosen as God's people out of all the nations they would be They are the people of God. They are the chosen nation. They were called to be a light to the Gentiles, and they had the sign of circumcision. And Paul just completely just unpacked those, and we'll look at that last one beginning in verse 25. Let me read last week's text, because it leads right into what he's saying in chapter 3. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is circumcised, uncircumcised keeps the precept of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outwardly and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. (laughs) Paul broke down their argument regarding the sign of circumcision. He says, if you are relying on that, you have to keep the whole law. And everybody goes, hmm, because nobody has done that. So it kind of leads into this question. What advantage has the Jew? Now this could be a question that Paul has heard when he has been preaching in the synagogues uh, consistently in various towns and cities, uh, going from place to place, preaching the gospel, and he would teach in the, in the synagogue. And perhaps as he got along in the gospel, they would ask this question, what advantage does the Jew have? It, it's a question that kind of looks back because his answer is this, or what value is the Or or what is the value of circumcision? He says, much in every way. What do you mean much in every way? You just tore everything down. What advantage is there? If there's no advantage to circumcision or the law or these things, what advantage is there? So Paul is dealing with some objections and this is one of them you are saying there's no value in being a jew and no value in circumcision and the result of that paul is that some who are condemned even though they have the sign of abrahamic covenant some of them have the sign of circumcision and what they're condemned If that's true, Paul, aren't you saying that God isn't faithful since he gave this sign to the Jews? Those are the two objections. You say there's no value to this sign. And in saying that, aren't you saying that God is not faithful to keep? Covenant. I want us to look at this in three parts. First of all, a sign apart from its substance is worthless. A sign apart from its substance is worthless. Secondly, I like this one. This is you know, just one of those. God is always faithful. Okay, you can just write that one out. God is always faithful. All right, that's the second thing I want us to glimpse out of this text today. God is always faithful. And lastly, I want us to consider that empty faithfulness, not empty promises. Condemn sinners. Empty faithfulness, not empty promises, condemn sinners. So, what advantage has the Jew if these things are of no advantage? If when I stand before God in judgment and I can't put these four things out there, what's the advantage of being a Jew? And Paul says, much. He says there's a lot of advantages to being a Jew. He's been pointing out that these things are unreliable in assuring the Jews at judgment. But now he's saying there's much in every way an advantage that Jews have. Let's look at what he says. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. Notice that he says to begin with. I want you to know Paul says to begin with, that implies something. There's more. He gets to his first point and never gets to his second point. Y'all know nothing about that. But he gets to his first point and he never gets to his second point. He never brings up any of the others, but he knows what they are. Look with me at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Paul's saying there, I, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And then he says in verse 4, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their way, race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed and forever. Amen. Oh, he's saying there's lots of advantages to being a Jew. Namely, that from this line, from this nation, came Christ, who is our Savior. Oh, we rejoice in that, don't we? We rejoice in that. So, he has... These advantages, he has these in mind, even in Romans chapter 9. This thought doesn't part from him, but he gets stuck on this first point. He mentions that the first advantage is that they've received the oracles of God. They have God's word. Nobody else was given the words of God in the Old Testament. No one. No other nation was set apart. No other nation did God reveal himself to them as he did. They have the words of God. He not only called them to be His people, He gave them instructions on how to be His people. He gave them the law. He taught them how to live out and be faithful to Him. And they weren't. They weren't faithful. They did not obey. What this means that they have the word of God is that they understand, they know the promises of God regarding circumcision. They know that this is something that God gave Abraham to do. That's before the law. It's before even his son. And he commanded him to do these things. Here's the sign of the covenant God will lay out to him. This covenant that I'm making with you, that I'm going to bless all nations through you. And that's what we see. We see God making himself known to all nations. Just as he promised Abraham. Circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with Abraham. With God's promise to Abraham came responsibilities of Abraham. He had responsibilities to live out. In chapter 12 of Genesis, he calls Abraham to what? Leave Your land. Leave your place and go to a place that I will show you. What did Abraham do? He packed up and he went. Later on, while he was there in the land that God would show him, uh, God gave him an assurance that he would indeed, in verse chapter 15 of Genesis, that he would indeed multiply him like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the shore in chapter 17 he laid out the covenant the promise and here's the sign of that promise and it was circumcision So he had to leave his country. He had to believe God's promise, uh, which was counted as righteousness, by the way. He had to take on himself the sign of the covenant. So God's covenant with Abraham was based on God's promise. Abraham's receipt of God's promise was by faith. By the way, that's where Paul's running to justification by faith the sign of the covenant means nothing apart from belief in the promise of god paul saying look you don't believe the promises you have the oracles of god but you don't believe the promises The sign means nothing apart from the promise. Anybody ever run a stop sign? No. I saw some people. A few people look over their glasses. A few people kind of look around. we, We forget them and blow by them every once in a while, don't we? I mean, that stop sign sitting up there on the corner, sometimes they're hard to see. People's trees are in front of them or something like that. But there's a stop sign there. And if you blow through that stop sign, and a police officer is sitting there, do you know what he's going to do? He's going to turn lights on on his vehicle, and he's going to turn on a siren so that everybody around you knows... You just did something for him to pull you over. If that doesn't happen, do you know the potential of blowing through a stop sign? Somebody else blowing through the stop sign at the same time, crap. There's consequences to that because there's a basis for that stop sign. It's the law, the law of the land, if you will. That sign is not merely there for us to look and say, Look, a red octagon. It's representing something behind it. It has a basis. There is a promise. You can get a ticket or you can get injured. I got another question about stop signs. How many of y'all ever had one hanging up in your room? Okay, no takers on that one either, I see. I raised my hand. I had one at one time. Not sure where it came from. I didn't take it anywhere. I just ended up in my possession. I hung it on my wall. And you know when people would come into my room, do you know what they wouldn't do? Stop. There was no authority behind the sign. There was nothing. It was based on nothing. It was just hanging on the wall. It was cool, right? You teenagers, I see your little old looks. Don't be going getting signs off the sides of roads or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to know that sign meant nothing hanging on my wall. It was just a sign. It's like your Christian T-shirt. It don't mean nothing. It's like the ichthus that you wear around your neck or the art that you have hanging on your wall. It means nothing except that there's something behind it in that home. Paul's telling the Jews, you know what? You're not going to be able to stand in judgment on the basis of this sign. Not because the sign doesn't have value, but because you don't believe the value behind the sign. And that is the promise of God. We will never get to heaven. We will never stand before God successfully in judgment apart from believing the promise that He forgives and He saves only through Jesus Christ and no other way. Nothing. along with believing the promise of God, come responsibilities to obey His Word. But some didn't obey His Word. Many didn't obey His Word. And so they asked this, well, Paul, if some did not believe, does that make God unfaithful? He said, take this sign upon you, but... They didn't believe, so is that God being unfaithful? Paul says something. He says, What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. King James Version puts it a little stronger. God forbid. Their logic takes them to that place. Paul's logic, however, says, of course he's not. Paul gives two arguments against this. First of all, he says, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. That's the first argument that he brings to bear. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Here's what's going on there. Take all humanity, all right? And put all humanity right here. All right? I know they won't fit. Use your imaginations, okay? Put all humanity right here. All right? And then God right here. All liars. And God is always faithful, He is always. True. Apart from God, everyone over here dies and spends all eternity apart from God in destruction in hell. That's the distinction he's making. We're never faithful, he is always faithful. That's what's going on. And that's really kind of the measure of how we are. Our faithlessness does not render God unfaithful. Our faithlessness is based on that we don't believe the promise. We don't believe God. His promises are true, His promises are abiding. There's nothing wrong with the promise of God, is what He's saying in this phrase. There's nothing wrong with the promise. There's nothing wrong with the sign. There's something wrong with the faithfulness of people. People refuse to believe and keep believing. We're all unfaithful. none of us in striving for holiness do so perfectly none of us will achieve it in any way we're all unfaithful but at the end of the day the promise of God is this I will be their god and they will be my people isn't it great nothing but unfaithful people nothing but people who sin I will be their god and They will be my people. Why? Because he makes us so. That's why. He makes us so. But his people, the Jews, rejected him and rejected his promises. And rejected his Christ in Paul's day. God's people are those who believe his promise. That means if you're here today, you believe his promise that he will save. That he uh, gives eternal life. That he forgives sin. uh, That he gives you the Holy Spirit. That he transforms you. I want you to know something. I, I, I want you to know that his faithfulness endures. His promise is true. He will do what he says he will do. Those who believe his promise strive to live as his people. So he's calling for us to keep believing. Don't walk away in unbelief, but keep believing. The second way Paul answers this question, and the question being, if some did not believe, does that make God unfaithful? Well, no. Consider David. That's who he quotes here in verse 4. Let God be tr- true, though every one were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Let's look at Psalm 51. I'll read 3 and 4. David is... The context here, of course, is David and the adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. He had broken the commandments of God. He had been unfaithful, if you will. But he was not unfaithful to the Word of God in what he says here. Verse 3, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Why? So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So that your word stands. David was unfaithful. To do God's word and God's will. But in his unfaithfulness and in his repentance, what did he say? Where did he go? He went back to the word of God. That's where he went. The word of God being a value of being a Jew. The oracles of God that were handed down. David's using those right here. And he's saying, God, your word is always true. It's always true. And because your word is always true, it's saying the right things about me. I've sinned against you, and I recognize that. I'm recognizing that so that you will be justified in your words. This is the king of Israel. This is the king of the Jews, if you will. He's saying, you know the king that y'all lift up all the time, Jews? Paul is saying, David, he pointed to these oracles. And as unfaithful as he was in sinning, He was faithful in turning to the Word of God. And that's what we do. That's what we're called to. We turn to the Word. We run to the Word. And the Jews weren't running to the Word. That's what Paul is communicating. David said, your Word reveals my sin. Your word is just and true. Hey, Jews, you want to know what the advantage of being a Jew is? You have the word of God. Christian, do y'all know the advantages that we have? Every one of you have a Bible Bible. Every one of you have access to the Word of God and the words of God. Not to be ignored, but to be treasured. Paul saying y'all had an advantage nobody else had. Not only could it have fed you, could have fed the nations with it and indeed the nations are fed with it because God brought salvation through the Jews and we have his word because of the Jews Let me just say this, empty faithfulness, last point, empty faithfulness, not empty promises, condemns sinners. If you wake up in hell after your death, it isn't because God wasn't faithful. It's because you didn't believe his promise. That's the only way. That could happen. Many rely on signs, feelings, institutions, heredity, confessions, and most of those in the past. What I mean by that is that people claim salvation and to know God and that there's nothing in their life that puts on display that he is transforming and changing them. And I assure you, he does that to those who believe. He changes us. He makes us new. Genuine salvation doesn't lean on those things, on signs and on feelings. I had somebody... I've had a lot of somebody say something like this, so I can't pinpoint any one person. Well, How do you know you were saved? You know, it might have been at some meeting, some evangelistic rally, some revival or something like that, and I talk to them later. Well, I just got this feeling over me. Anybody ever just get a feeling over them? Sometimes that's Nerves. Every once in a while, it might be a lack of food. There are times we get feelings when we think we're about to be exposed. You ever get butterflies? Jonathan Edwards in The Great Awakening wrote religious affections dealing with Some feelings like that that were coming out of the revival that was taking place and saying, this means nothing. Paul is consistently saying all the way through this, whatever you can bring at me and say, this plus Christ, the this means nothing. One of the songs we sing, Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. The song could end right there. All I have is Christ, I got nothing else. If you're leaning on anything other than Him, Christ plus anything is worthless. Worthless. What we do as Christians is we lean into Jesus with all our sins and even, shamefully, our continuing sinfulness. where We keep sinning. Not in a way of pursuit like we did before we were believers. But in a way that exposes our weaknesses in our flesh. As disappointing as it is that we are imperfect... We still confess to him, I believe you. I believe you love me. I believe you forgive me. I believe you're my Savior. I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. I believe your promises. Lord, as flawed as I walk and live, I still believe you. I still believe you. There are times when that's really hard. Always cling to Christ. Always. If you're a Christian today, God has called you to be faithful. That's the pursuit of your life. Remember what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about there's going to be a day of judgment. And your hope is in Christ, and you need to be pursuing all that he has given. You need to set your mind on things that are above. That helps us. Charles Spurgeon said, I'll close with this. I'm going to try to keep from preaching it, but I'll close with it. The joy of the saints in heaven is comprised in this. Listen, <laughs> Did y'all hear that? Anybody going to be in heaven one day? Alright, this, this, this is what our joy is comprised of. Alright? Jesus chose us, loved us, bought us, cleansed us, robed us, kept us, glorified us. We are entirely, uh, we are here entirely through the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's our only confession when we get to heaven. That's our only confession. That's our joy. The Jews rejected this concept, this thought this truth about the Christ. Our task is to embrace it with all that we have. To live all of our life to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you.